0: Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Guitar Villains. Why Guitar Villains, you ask? Well, because villains are cooler than heroes. It's just a fact This is a podcast by guitar players for guitar players And over the course of this series We'll chat with some of the most innovative and creative minds In the guitar community Find out what makes them tick And understand how we can become better guitar players ourselves Thank you for watching the video podcast here on YouTube And of course you can also listen to the podcast On Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts Today's guitar villain is John Petrucci A legendary riff writer Almighty shred lord Dedicated gym rat Purveyor of fine bourbon an all-around nice guy. This bearded phenom who some believe to be a wizard or even god himself is here to spill his guitar secrets. John has recently dropped on us his second solo album entitled Terminal Velocity, which we'll dive deep into. I'll also be challenging the prog prince in ways he's never been challenged before, so let's get right to it. The very first episode of Guitar (laughs) Villains. Welcome to Guitar Villains, the show where we deconstruct and decode the guitar. And John, I actually haven't told you this, but you're actually the inaugural guest on the show.
1: Oh, wow. That's right. I'm honored. That's you're batting awesome. lead off. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's 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 hope. This is going to determine how
0: yes, this, this moves is it.
1: forward from here. Yeah. I don't,
0: I don't want to make any promises or ruffle any feathers, but I think I think that this is going to be the greatest podcast about guitar and guitar players in the entire world. Wow. So I'm setting the okay. bar there.
1: High expectations. Let's yeah.
0: See. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think, I think we're going to meet him. But you, you just released a new solo album, and we're going to dive into it soon. But I have to ask, when you release a new album or finish a huge project, mm. how do you celebrate?
1: How do I celebrate? Oh, man. Uh, probably with some bourbon. It's probably the best way.
0: <laughs> okay, any bourbon of choice?
1: I have so many bourbons that I really, really enjoy. I love Blanton's. I love Elijah Craig. Uh, there's just just so many different ones out there that are that are incredible that I've been, uh, you know, experimenting with and enjoying. Um, I, I think it's important to. Uh, I, I always like to to sort of make a conscious note that something was accomplished. You know, whether it's like (laughs) between my wife and I and say, you know what, you know, I did this. I feel really good about this. I really, you know, let's have a drink or a toast or with, you know, my engineer, Jimmy T or uh, Andy Sneap, who mixed the record, you know, to just say whether you take a second out, you know, on a call or in person or with a text, like, hey, man, you know, I feel really great about this. We accomplished it. I think that's a good way to sort of celebrate and just. You know, don't let it just the moment just kind of like pass by and. It move is on to hard, the next thing.
0: especially now, where it's kind of fast pace in the yeah. in, in anything we do. But speaking to music, like it's so easy to just say on to the next one and forget what you just spent like your entire life. It feels like doing.
1: Right. <laughs> so. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you want to sort of savor it.
0: <laughs> yes, just yeah. like it, just like yeah. a glass of of bourbon. I think exactly. my go to is uh, it's an accident that I discovered this, but. I was uh, at a whiskey bar and I ordered this thing called Yellow Spot. Okay. And I was like, "What's a, what's a really nice whiskey?" And he's like, "We got Green Spot, we got Yellow Spot." And let's just say I'd already had a couple, so yeah. I was I was like, "All right, I'll, I trust you." And it turned out to be a hundred dollar pour. So, oh no, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> but <laughs> nice. He told me about it halfway through, so I managed to savor just like you mentioned uh, that Perfect. that second half and um, yes. yeah. I don't know how I feel about that bartender anymore, but...
1: Right, right. You know, He could have warned you before. It is
0: what it is. I, I <laughs> yeah. fell into that trap. Uh, so we'll do things a little bit differently on this show. We're going to play some games. I'm going to try and get to the bottom of what makes you tick as a musician. Hopefully you'll have a great time. And uh, maybe next time you're in Nashville, where I live, uh, and the world is a little more stable, we can do this again over a glass of bourbon.
1: That sounds like
0: fun. Absolutely. Awesome. So this show is called Guitar Villains because I think villains are cooler than heroes. I've always found the characters are a little more deeper and more memorable. Yeah. Um, So the first thing I want to ask you is, out of all the movie or comic book villains out there, who would you say you identify with the most? And this could be something as simple as appearance or as nuanced as the character trait that you share.
1: Oh, my God. And if that, you want, a...
0: if you want, I can give you my answer for which villain I think you're most like. And you can respond with a different choice or agree.
1: That I, I'd I like to take your approach because, you know, you can go in all these different universes, right? You yep. can go Disney, Marvel, uh, DC. You can even go with the, you watch The Boys. Yes. You can go. That's a great show. I yep. mean, okay. You know, so it depends. So, yeah. Let me hear yours and let's see. Okay,
0: so I think there's the easy answer, and then there's the correct answer. I think okay. the easy answer is Thanos from the Marvel yeah. universe. So, yeah, and i I guess you're you're familiar. Uh, at his peak, he controlled the six Infinity Stones, which are right. mind, power, reality, soul, space, and time. And to relate this to guitar, you have all these things: the mind, which is like the knowledge of the fretboard; the power, which is blistering shred abilities; uh, reality, which I think is like bringing the music in your head like from your head into existence soul which of course is like you know your vibrato in particular uh mind which allows you to come up with the music you write and finally time which i think goes without saying your your rhythm and
1: wow you really give gave us a lot of i was (laughs) you know thanos popped into my mind as well but I was just gonna say, just because he's a big burly guy that well,
0: that was my final my final point. He's kinda of like a buff godlike figure and, and you kind of fit that bill from aesthetics uh perspective. But I like your analyzation. That's awesome. Okay, well, good. So I think that's the easy one, the low hanging okay. fruit. But yeah. I think your actual supervillain counterpart is Arcade. And he's Arc- also from the Marvel universe. Do you know who Arcade okay. is?
1: I don't. I don't.
0: Yeah, okay. To, it's a little bit of a deep cut. Mean. Uh he okay. He's from the X Men. He's an X Men antagonist, and uh, he designed and built this place called Murder World, and okay. it's like a subterranean evil lair uh, disguised as an amusement park, which can sometimes describe the music of Dream Theater. And I mean wow. that in the best way possible. Yeah. Um, so Arcade, he lured his victims into this Murder World, and that sort of resembled a life-size pinball machine. And I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. I'm going to play you a little sound clip, and I just want to get your reaction. Yep. You ready? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Was
1: was that from... uh the necronomicon
0: yes <laughs> yes it was
1: um, i was like i know this sounds familiar it kind of sounds like me but i'm not sure oh that's awesome
0: <laughs> yeah it's from uh, a sega saturn japanese only release uh pinball yes. game from the 90s and
1: uh i i can't believe you you found that how how do you get the music to that it's just something like i
0: like, i have sle- my way out online i have my yeah, ways um nice. yeah it's got to be the coolest pinball soundtrack of all time right
1: yeah. I was asked for that project to make like a you know, these really short thing, like an intro minute and a half thing and an outro thing, and and that was the first time and the last time I ever did anything <laughs> like that. I, I think, you know, doing more music for gaming would be awesome, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um I think uh, you should
0: you should dive down that rabbit hole next, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um yeah. So, so anyway, you're you're like arcade. You're like the evil pinball wizard. Uh, okay, that's, perfect. That's that's, that's, <laughs> that's where great. I came from that. That's Um,
1: definitely deep. I never would have thought of that, but uh, (laughs) I'm going with
0: it. Yeah, I'm glad to bring up some old memories. Um, So first things first, I have a couple kind of softball lobs for you. Yeah. And I call this segment Burning Questions. Okay. So these are rapid-fire questions that if you were to conduct a live master class or a live stream where anybody could ask you any questions about anything they want regarding guitar or music, these are the questions they would ask. Okay. Instead of asking you about, like, guitar playing secrets or wisdom or anything else that could possibly help them become a better guitar player, they would no doubt spam you with these questions. Gotcha. Which don't totally matter, in my opinion, but for some reason they must be answered. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay. What gauge pick do you use?
1: It's uh, that's a good question because I have a few different uh, signature versions. I have a flow pick that's two millimeter. Um, The the general size of a jazz three, like my Trinity, is I don't know exact. It's probably like one point three in that zone. So somewhere in that zone, one is too light.
0: Okay. One is too light. We can leave it. One is too light for me. Uh, What gauge strings do you use?
1: I use 10 through 46 Ernie Ball. All right.
0: What's your number one guitar?
1: My number one guitar currently is my Ernie Ball Music Man Majesty Nebula, the purple Nebula one. That's the one I've been playing the most.
0: Delightful. What's your favorite amp?
1: My favorite amp? These are easy questions. You're right. Softball. It's my Mesa Boogie Signature JP2C. It's like the best amplifier on the planet. Best one ever made.
0: Finally, what's your favorite guitar pedal? Um
1: I really really love uh, I it, it sounds. I'm always my my signature but you know I'm fortunate enough to be able to design these with these incredible companies manufacturers and 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 families but uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say the Dunlop JP95 wah that's just an unbelievable wah crybaby wah You pedal.
0: mean this one? And
1: that? <laughs> That one right there, and it looks so badass, in the uh, it does the dark chrome and yeah. I was gonna
0: s- I was gonna save this, but now that you brought it up, I, yeah. d- I want to play you a little sound clip of something. nice is that is that you yeah yeah man this wah this wah pedal uh it just makes me play differently yes and and uh i was gonna say it kind of makes me uh it channels like you have you have a a really big influence in in that sort of style when i play that kind of music i kind of have you and a couple other guitar players as my primary influences but i think in the best way because sometimes you sort of become a lesser version maybe of somebody you're trying to emulate, but I think that's what I love about this guitar pedal is it sort of gives me that epic, really deep sound uh, that yeah. isn't really common in a lot of wah pedals, um, but allows me to still kind of play like myself, if that makes sense.
1: It does make sense. It's It enables you to express you know yourself to the truest, and your playing sounds great. I mean, what I love about the sound of that pedal is that it's so... It has so much attitude to it like you just recognize you know there's lots of different wah pedals out there and they kind of do they're all doing a similar type of thing but this this pedal uh just has tons of attitude and uh one of the things that we did with this as well which is practice i'm all about the practicality of gear
0: yeah
1: um and you know especially when it comes to performance and the fact that when you turn it on it glows blue around the front of your foot and you know that it's on Yeah, is something that was really important <laughs> to me. Because yeah. there's been so many times where I'm p- playing a wah. I think I'm playing a wah and I think I'm hearing it, but nothing's actually on.
0: Or the worst um, is when it's accidentally on. Yes. And, and you're, you leave it either. on like yeah. in the lowest and it's like, why is my tone just like mud? <laughs> <It's>, What's happening? <laughs> it's
1: it's so dark, yeah. yeah. And you know, I like the other thing I, I should say too, that I was so proud to develop my Dreamscape pedal with TC Electronic. I mean, that was... You mean this one? I mean that one. <laughs> Look at you. We didn't plan this. I yeah, just had but, them on hand. That's like a dream come true pedal, Not no uh, pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I use forever and ever the TC SCF pedal, the original um, Stereo Chorus your right. Black pedal with the um, the cable that was connected to it and everything and Mm. and uh that was a big part of my sound um and this was the first signature pedal um that tc ever did oh is that right yeah and it i could be wrong we have to look at their site it might be the only one
0: i'm not sure Yeah, yeah, i know they've done like the tone print stuff but i I think this is like the only one with somebody's name on
1: it that i know that might be true yeah that might be true so you know, to be able to look at that original SCF and say, you know, what would you want to change, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and putting forth my, again, practical ideas, you know, well, you know, it's, it's a little bit noisy, it, you know, could be a little smaller, um, I'd like more flexibility here, I'd like it to be true bypass, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, to, you know, basically, that is that, for that original SCF pedal, but a modernized version of it. Um, so that was a true honor to get to do that with them
0: yeah this is a killer pedal i love it for anything modulation or otherwise they have uh, tons of tons of things on there so uh you just released a new album terminal velocity and i'm not going to ask why there's a 15 year gap between your two solo releases because i imagine there were countless obligations like tours dream theater tours um yeah liquid tension experiment there for a minute there was g3 developing your own signature gear and Like, oh, by the way, having some semblance of a regular life with your family and things like that, I'm sure. Uh, You
1: couldn't have said it better. I would have said the same thing. It's 100% accurate.
0: And, uh, yeah, so I guess things didn't really sync up until this weird chunk of time and isolation. We've all been uh, (laughs) force-fed thanks to this damn coronavirus. But um, it seems like you made the best of it. I've heard you mention you recorded Terminal Velocity between March and May. Yeah, and my question is: It seems like you cranked this out like in an unbelievably short time, but it sounds like something that somebody could have worked on for years. So, right, John, how much pent up creativity have you been holding?
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, like you said, with with that gap of time in between, you know, I, I I didn't have the type of time that I like to dedicate towards doing records. I mean, the last Dream Theater record, Distance Over Time. That took five months. You know, the band went away to a remote lo- location. I produced it, so I was there every day. Yeah, I mean, I I'll spend ten hour days in the studio. So with Terminal Velocity, I had planned on doing it, starting it in March um, before the pandemic hit. But then it hit, and we were on lockdown. So obviously, I had more time than I thought. But mm-hmm. e- even with that, um, I was in the studio. You know, five days a week, ten or more hours a day. Um, and that's, that's the the way I like to work. I like to just completely, um, immerse myself in the project, yeah. in the headspace and work really hard. Um, now five of the songs are brand new that I wrote, you know, in, in March in that period. Uh, three of the songs I had written already and had some demo demos, two of them I played live on G3 and one was a really old song that I resurrected. So, mm. um, you know that I didn't have to write from scratch all of the material, but okay. more than half of it is brand new. But I guess that's the the short answer is just working really intense, long days for you know consistent period of time, not taking time off, and just really getting into it.
0: Great. Well, we're going to talk more about terminal velocity in a bit, but right now I want to play a little game I call "Name Those Notes." Oh my god. So the concept is pretty simple. I'll play a quick sequence of guitar notes from songs that you have recorded over the years. Oh, boy. And you have to tell me from which songs these notes come from.
1: you got to be kidding me. I'm going to fail this miserably.
0: You know, I've recorded a few podcasts. Like I said, you're the inaugural guest. Your episode is coming out first. Every person I've told this segment to have set it up. They've all said exactly what you said, but you may surprise yourself.
1: Okay, let's see what happens.
0: So we're going to see how well you know your catalog and how well you can recognize your guitar playing, and it'll spur some conversation about the music, too. Awesome. So we're going to start with something easy that I think you'll get right away, and then things will get progressively harder. Okay. Okay. So here is the first flurry of notes.
1: That's from Dance of Eternity, right? No, it's from... uh... That's from Metropolis. Very yeah. good. Yeah. dance. Of, well, Dance of Eternity, to be fair, has a similar.
0: I thought that section. you might pick yeah. that up, though. Yeah. <laughs> dance of Eternity
1: and Scenes from Memory is based on Metropolis. so
0: Right, right.
1: The instrumental Dance of Eternity has that same sequence
0: it's of a, notes. It's so a, I'm not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah, you're right twice <laughs> almost. Uh, so that song in particular, it's one of my favorites. Uh Oh, cool. That you guys do, and I was wondering, I don't know if you've heard this trope before. I'm sure you have uh, offhanded, maybe not said to your face, but what do you say to people who say that guitarists who play a lot of notes aren't as musical or don't have emotion in their guitar playing
1: yeah i i I never bought into that statement ever. you know to me um yeah as an instrumentalist you should this is my philosophy at least sure you sh- you should have the ability to produce anything that your mind sort of thinks of mm. you know think think about classical composers writing symphonies for all these different instruments and stuff you know demanding that the violins do this crazy thing over here Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, oh, and this section of the music requires complete discipline and tone and beauty, and you have to be able to do everything in between. Um, you know, it just because you develop that side, that craft side of the instrument that you play, doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to be expressive on the instrument, you know. So I, I don't buy into that uh argument at all. I think it's false and uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. And I, I often yeah. find and we're keeping this ambiguous, but I often find those who may be saying things like that or have that notion can't necessarily execute on what it is they're criticizing, if that makes yeah. sense.
1: I could it it could be some of that for sure. It's kind of a, a like a lazy statement, mm-hmm. you know, because you're not really You know, you're not really thinking about. If you listen to to guitar players who are known to be super expressive, um, you know, whether you're thinking of Stevie Ray Vaughan or whoever that 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 may be, or Neil Sean, or I mean, these guys like shred, yeah, (laughs) shred their heads off, you know. So, and and some of the most shredding guys um, are able to play melodies like no other, and you know. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of Steve Morris, my favorite guitar player of all time. Uh-huh. And the guy can play anything and, you know, has these beautiful, beyond beautiful melodies and compositions and sequences of chords and notes that are just incredible. Yeah. Uh, somebody like Tommy Emanuel, I mean, I saw him live in New York City and the guy has technique, you know, for days and days and days, like a freaking freight train. <laughs> but meanwhile, I'm watching him and I'm like crying, literally. Because there's so much emotion exuding uh, out of him. So th- that argument is dead in the water as far as I'm concerned. You know, people's ability to command their instrument, if anything, gives them more, uh, not all the time, but, you know, a lot of times gives them more of the uh, connection to the emotional part. You know.
0: We'll leave it at that. Uh, just a sidebar Tommy mm-hmm. is going to be on the show next week. Uh, I'm talking with him, so can I let him know that he made you cry in a good way? A (laughs)
1: hundred percent. Say hello. Say hello to Tommy. Tell him I love him. And uh, that was it. That was like the first time I cried while watching a live performance.
0: I think I welled up a little bit when I heard him do like classical gas or something like that. Yeah, just just, like oh my, that's a guitar. That's one man. Yeah. Well, it was funny because I was in
1: the audience with my wife, Raina, and he. He recognized me and it's like told me to come backstage in between and I was like, what how do you I <laughs> didn't even see the audience you know anyway yeah. it was it was a really great moment but he, he is just such a monster musician and player. yeah absolutely blown away by him. So please say hello. I hope he's doing well.
0: I will do. All right let's awesome. move on to another song. you ready? Yeah, here we go
1: uh, that's Jaws of life. From suspended animation, right?
0: That's exactly what it is. Nice. I'm so glad you got that one. That's... I don't know if
1: I recognize myself or Dave Larue doing the old uh, bass thumping there. <laughs> the
0: the that moment is the best part of your entire first solo album, in my opinion. Oh, cool. Nice, but because nice. of just what you mentioned the the groove that's happening between the rhythm section and, and that melody, which is actually the lick. You know the lick. The lick. I don't know the lick. Yeah, yeah. Let me play this this for you again. It's the progressive metal version of the lick. Ah. And I don't think it's ever been pointed out, but I had to shed light on it. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I subconsciously, uh, you know, channeled the lick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It happens. That's what happens. That's why it's such a. uh, a stigma not even a, not even negatively it's just like this thing that's built into musicians and it, it transcends genre people think it's just a jazz thing but
1: no absolutely a, not
0: it goes everywhere what, So,
1: what i like about that section and um I, I did this on terminal velocity as well with playing with the trio is when recording in the studio it's very uh it's very easy to kind of get into the idea of during guitar solo sections, there's going to be a rhythm guitar playing. And for the most part, mm. on, on suspended animation and on terminal velocity, there is. But I purposely picked a few moments to just keep a trio. Like, we are jamming live, there's no rhythm guitars, and you could really hear what the drums and bass are doing you know, to support the soloists in, in that case. That's a great example of that. Um, I think on on terminal it might be in the way things fall. Mm-hmm. There might be a couple of moments and in a couple of songs where I do the same, where I c- just lose the rhythm guitars and we're trio and it just sounds like we're really jamming together, which I love the sound of that.
0: Let's move on to another sound, shall we? We're getting a little more challenging here. Okay.
1: Oh boy. <laughs> That's not. That's not me. (laughs) (laughs) What is that?
0: Would you like to hear it again?
1: I don't even know what that's. All right, are you tricking? Is that my playing? You. You already.
0: I'll give it. I'll give you the point. It is not you. Okay. But it is. I'm not. I don't know for sure, but I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure. You are aware of this person and know where this comes from. Huh. Okay. You may have already mentioned this person on the podcast. Really? He okay. may be your favorite person. Is that a Steve Morris thing? It is. Do you know what, what it could that? possibly be from here? Let me play it again.
1: It almost sounds like um like based on the record, it almost like sounds like a uh is that from like a guitar clinic or a master class or something?
0: It's from Power Lines. Oh, instructional nice, nice. VHS.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if it's that one. There's a Steve Morse um, instructional um I think I had the cassette for it. And I don't know if he did like a couple of different ones. Okay. But this this one particular one that I had had all of these exercises like one note per string, two note three, four, that I still practice The ascending, like, like
0: three-note per string stuff?
1: Yeah, it was like, he he broke it down, and I love this method that he did, and I use it, and I teach it myself, where he, he you know, basically taught, like, a one-note-per-string thing mm-hmm. that you would play chromatically up the neck, and then a two-note-per-string thing.
0: Yeah, three I, note I was struggling to, I was yeah. trying to figure out which one of the exercises to choose that I thought you would recognize immediately but i figured because that one actually sounded a little like i could kind of hear some of you in that sound if it makes sense and
1: it does make sense i i don't for some reason i'm not you know specifically remembering that one but uh, yeah yeah i mean steve you know when i when i started playing guitar i was 12 years old um i grew up on Long Island in New York. There's a lot of rock music playing on the radio. Mm-hmm. That was probably my first influence, was just learning ACD and Zeppelin, ACDC and Zeppelin and stuff like that. And then, you know, Ozzy came out with Blizzard and learning all that. But as I started to get better, um, I had like uh, my friend's older brother or like friend of their older brother, you know, mm-hmm. who were just yep. old enough to like go to the bars and see the shows and they'd see the dregs play in New York and they'd see Al Demiola play and those guys, you know, would turn me on. There's this one guy in particular, turned me on to Steve Morris. And when I heard him play, it just changed, you know, my whole perspective on guitar playing. Like I mm. knew that I wanted to be able to play like that and have this powerful right hand technique. And it changed everything, changed my whole course and I tried to learn all that music and stuff. So Steve was a huge, huge influence on me musically.
0: That's great. I'm sure yeah. you've been that for for guitar players as well, John. Let's uh, let's finish up here. Last sound, ready? Yeah.
1: Wow, well, that's Temple of Circadia.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Only took three notes. Technically, three two notes. notes.
1: <laughs> I, I, did, I did the game you're doing at my last Guitar Universe camp. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and, and I, this uh, isn't a completely you
0: know, original idea then.
1: Well no it's a great idea I love it but I I did it you know playing in real time in front of the the audience okay. you know and I would do it by a note or two notes or whatever and people would guess but uh I did one song um without with no notes and oh. people had to guess yeah they had to guess what I was getting ready to play
0: <laughs> Can you reveal is there a way to do that without having a guitar in your hands
1: Probably not. Okay, we'll just just, leave that
0: up to maybe go to the camp next year when it comes back.
1: (laughs) It had more to do with my stance and the the guitar I was holding. Okay, what... You know, I said to everybody, this one's going to be really difficult. You have to name this song in no notes. Uh, It's like, okay, go. I don't remember if anybody got it, but it was pretty fun.
0: That's awesome. Well, let's segue to talk about Terminal Velocity since you you just got that one right. That was the first couple of notes um, of... pronounce that one again for me
1: temple of circadia so circadia, okay you know you know uh, the phrase that your circadian rhythm yep um your sleep cycle and all that i just love the name that Circadia. you know when i think about it, it just sound like a um a land in game of thrones or something <laughs> <laughs> Circadia, you know yeah so yeah. I, I wasn't even sure if it was a word mm-hmm. um i'm not sure it is a word but well I that's it. the
0: beauty of like instrumental music you can kind yeah. of there's no holds barred for naming these these songs it's kind of whatever you want
1: exactly and the cool thing if you know the tie-in you know if it does if it is a word and it has anything to do (laughs) with your circadian rhythm having to do with your sleep cycle and stuff that obviously ties into dreams and dream theater and Mm -hmm. that surreal world so that that was my thinking with that one
0: Today's episode of Guitar Villains is brought to you by Guitar Super System. Are you tired of YouTube ads telling you that YouTube guitar lessons suck? Me too. I don't know about you, but somebody setting an acoustic guitar on fire or teaching crappy cover songs in front of a musty black curtain feels a little disingenuous to me. I'll get straight to the point. Join tens of thousands of other guitar players and visit guitarsupersystem.com to join the most popular independent guitar learning platform on the internet. If you're a beginner, there's an entire curriculum called the Beginner's Corner just for you. If you're an expert, the music theory and technique curriculums reach the highest levels of mastery and are based on industry standard learning methods I've used since graduating Berklee College of Music. If you're somewhere in the middle, you're actually the perfect candidate. The Choose Your Destiny approach allows you to cater your learning experience to exactly what you want to accomplish, whether that's improving your improvising, ear training, learning new techniques, songwriting, and more. You'll also have access to private live streams, lesson comments, and a community forum for feedback, as well as exclusive giveaways and new curriculum releases. The best part is everything that I just mentioned is included in one monthly subscription and you can cancel anytime. or, like a lot of people do, upgrade your subscription to a yearly pass. Of course, you can also just learn guitar right on YouTube for free because YouTube guitar lessons don't suck if you know where to look. So check out guitarsupersystem.com. Now, back to Guitar Villains. Yeah, so Terminal Velocity, I've listened to it a couple of times. It's kind of an upbeat, like uplifting album overall, which I I have to say it was a welcome sound in my house. Oh that's great. After all this crazy, you know, shit we've been dealing with in the past year. It was unexpectedly awesome and and a good feeling. And I mean there's even a song called Happy Song. And that's uh, right. I wanna ask you, it's so difficult to write memorable melodies. And Mm. I think as guitar players especially we often struggle with like motifs and especially in the instrumental space specifically but you managed to do the opposite with this song which is to take a lot of notes but still kind of make it memorable like a memorable phrase that you come back to and this is uh you know this happens a lot glasgow kiss comes to mind a little bit Um, sure the main theme that kicks off happy song is a perfect example so do you outline like four notes first that you really like and then fill in the gaps or is it a lick that you come up with all at once what's your strategy for writing a fast hook so right
1: i you know sometimes it starts with with a technique that i'm working on Mm -hmm. um in that in the case of happy song it was a technique it was a legato technique that i was just fooling around with um and i I don't remember how i was originally doing it you know maybe in a scale or something Um, and then I just started like skipping a string and then wait, what if I made that major? And then it just turned into like this cool motif. And I've said this many times, I've been doing a lot of press in support of this record. So you might've heard me say this over and over, but whenever that happens and I'm in that moment and my brain goes, Hey, that's kind of cool sounding. Mm -hmm. I record it immediately, Yeah, you know, just so I have it, I have some kind of reference and I don't forget it. And so, in like I said, in the case of that, it stemmed from a technique I was practicing, that I morphed into something that, that, you know, signaled to myself like this is cool sounding. I should do something with this. So that's how that particular one happened. So it did. It didn't happen from. It didn't come from a melodic space. Mm -hmm. It didn't come from a. Sometimes ideas come from. I want to use this tonality. Oh yeah. Uh, You know, like terminal velocity is very. Uh, melodic uh, major.
0: The title track, yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 Yeah. that's the title track. So it's like I wanted to use that tonality, that modality. But this one came from like a technique that morphed into a lick that I thought was cool.
0: Terminal Velocity almost has like, it sort of brought me back. I I went to high school in the early thousands, and it sort of brought me back to kind of like a pop punk almost. uh, It's a sound I haven't necessarily heard from you before. Right that, right. where did where did that actual song? Because you know like the the happiness is obviously there, but it's like got this kind of more straight ahead feel sure. for, for some of the song. Well,
1: yeah, I mean that that song, you know, again, um, when when I collect ideas, um, I, I they're just they only exist as sort of these seeds. you know, it could mm-hmm. it could only last for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever it is. Uh, when I sat down in March to write ter- the album Terminal Velocity, I had a, a, I had done some some work on the computer ahead of time, sort of organizing all those ideas, you know, uh, making note of which ones I thought were the best ones, maybe which ones sort of like went together in key or tonality and might make a song somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I sat down in March, the first thing I wrote was the song ter- Terminal Velocity. And all that I had was that little opening motif. Mm. And so I literally started with that, um, recorded that, uh, programmed some drums, played bass, and I had the first little chunk, and then just started writing the music, and it developed organically into the song. So I can't really, I don't really know where the other parts of the mood of that song came from inspirationally, Mm. but it started just from that little first seed. And the interesting thing about writing a record this way, by myself the only other person in the room is my engineer jimmy t there's no other band members or musicians i'm bouncing ideas off of oh where you know what do you have where should this go it's just sort of my own creative brain saying it might be interesting to go here and let's see what happens so it's like you're building a house from the ground up but you don't really have a blueprint for the house all you have is the foundation so it's an interesting way yeah
0: yeah and uh it could be like maybe mildly refreshing, too, because you have like sure. bands and you work in that environment. So when you do a, especially something that's a little bit more personal, like a solo album, it could be cool to have that bit of isolation.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, and you kind of let your it's it's almost like more of a stream of consciousness type of writing where you're letting the next part develop from where the last part left off and uh it's fun it's a fun way of writing it's a little less structured and i think the songs kind of come out interesting and they reflect a a deeper part of your imagination because Mm -hmm. you're just doing it on the spot and you're not really sure where you're going so it's it's fun
0: well another song that was a pretty new sound uh from you at least to me it was out of Mm -hmm. the blue which is this lovely blues ballad and that must have been as a guitar player, it must have been pretty satisfying to record that one. I don't know. It, it sounded like you yeah. really channeled your any, inner like Gary Moore almost. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I love playing that style. I mean, I again with these different uh, seeds of ideas that I had, that was one of them, that opening melody and chord progression. Mm-hmm. I it just stood out to me as, you know what? I really want to do something with this. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, but I want to do something with it. And it it you know because the basic structure is a blues with just you know some substituted chords in there on the turnarounds um it turned into a blues song um it turned into that sort of shuffle that you feel mm-hmm. um on the drums and and you know that super bluesy expressive gary moore kind of way of playing or carlos santana whatever i i love that i love doing that it just like i don't know you like you nailed it it's really satisfying and a lot of the soloing and melodic playing on that is is improvised. is mm-hmm. It's from when I was laying out, you know, initially. Okay, here's the chord progression. Let me quickly do a melody over the top. Let me quickly just improvise a solo. Mm-hmm. A lot of that we kept. So I think for a blues type of thing, that it, it's sort of important to to you know the spirit of uh, to to maintain the spirit of improvisation on a song like that I think is important.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense yeah. for that that genre if you will.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: exactly. So what was the highlight if you had to if one pops to your to your head, what's the highlight on the album for you?
1: The highlight on the album. Oh man.
0: Or it could be um, like a memory centered around it if you can't pick just one thing.
1: Well, I'll tell you what was sort of fun for me that I never did before even though I'm a huge fan um, you know, I talked about when I was younger getting turned on to Steve Morris and Al Demiola. The, the record, the live record Friday night in San Francisco with Al Demiola, Paco De Lucia, and John McLaughlin was a yeah. huge, huge influence on me. Again, for that right hand playing, just being able, being able to have a command of the instrument technically. And of course, that's all on acoustic. Yep. Um, you know, getting into, uh, we talked about Tommy. Um, getting into Gypsy Jazz, jazz. getting turned on to Joshua Stefan, the German Gypsy Jazz guitar player, uh-huh. uh, who's out also doing my camp next year, um, and and playing that kind of style a lot, like at home or whatever, but never putting it on an album. Yeah. Um, the moment in Gemini comes to mind where mm. I do a solo in that style in the middle of that song, kind of goes to a Latin feel, and all of a sudden there's a acoustic sort of, you know, Al Miola ish gypsy jazz style yeah, played I on a gypsy I felt like I festive. was in
0: like, a, like a Van Helsing, like some medieval <laughs> caravan flying through the desert running from right. vampires or something.
1: That's it. <laughs> Just transported you right then and there. Yeah. So, I, it's yeah, funny so you, co-
0: that was a cool moment. It's funny you brought up that, that Al Demiola, um that live cut. I was also heavily influenced before I even played guitar I heard Mediterranean Sundance and oh, nice. I was just like whoa what is yeah. that cool. and uh, yeah I every time I hear that style and you, you flawlessly uh, executed on that which is you know testament to your musicianship it's that's hard you can't fake that so you clearly no, spent a I, lot of time doing <laughs> you know <laughs> you can't yeah, just sit down and be like all right so I'm going to do this little flamenco thing or whatever
1: <laughs> right right there's definitely especially on acoustic guitar there's definitely an element of technique you have to develop but you know it's a side and that guitar that i played it on is a uh, it's a selmer mcaferry uh d hole gypsy style guitar which is you know they mm. use a different kind of string on it the scale is a bit different it's a it's meant to be sort of a loud guitar um and it it takes some it requires like some comfort playing on that kind of guitar. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you if you listen to that Django style, man, it's pretty, it's just wild, because it's basically shred acoustic like, through jazz changes. It's like pretty, it took me a long time to like get turned on to. I don't know why, but... Uh, it's
0: intimidating almost.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's crazy, but it's like right up my alley. I mean, yeah. I saw a show at Carnegie Hall with Al Damiola doing this Django Fest, and he's got every... Last person can just shred acoustic, you know. It was like, where have I been? (laughs) Like, how did I miss this? (laughs) So uh, it was fun to put something like that on the record.
0: Are you a Gemini?
1: I am not a Gemini. I'm a Cancer.
0: Where did Gemini come from?
1: So Gemini was... uh, So again, that song is the oldest song on the album. I wrote it way back in um, early, mid-90s. I used to do a lot of guitar clinics... Um, you know, at the Nam show and mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, I had a bunch of songs that I programmed on this little sequencer that I would play as like demo songs at the clinics. That was one of them. Mm. Um, and uh, my father-in-law at the at the time, uh, he was alive. He's no longer alive. But my wife's father, um, I played it for him in our apartment where we were living at the time. And he was like, that should be called Gemini. It just like came to his head. Wow. And I was like all right, I'll call it Gemini. Great. And so, so he named it. So that's a great tribute to him. And, uh, you know, the version on the record where it does go from acoustic to electric solo, I guess sort of illustrates that Gemini, you know, the two sides of that. Yeah, so, the twins.
0: I, I'm a Gemini, so I, I was curious. But yeah, ah. that's your, uh, your, that's a very beautiful little little tribute there.
1: Yes, it is, and we named our son after him, and his name is Renato. We call him Renny, R-E-N-Y, and that's my son's name as well. So it's great, yeah, great that he named that song. I actually had trouble um, trying to reproduce that song for Terminal Velocity because I had no version of it oh. to reference. I oh, so it kind of just it.
0: like was reimagined almost.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, all that I had, I had to go on YouTube and search out <laughs> steal look, from yourself <laughs> uh yeah i had to find. you know we we looked for the best like youtube bootleg version of somebody at a guitar clinic mm. filming me play that and that's the audio that i went by and kind of extrapolated what i meant to play and built the song off of that so that that was a challenge but we we got it done
0: that sounds fun yeah <laughs> that sounds like a i've, I've like a mission yeah yeah, like yeah. you have old recordings. Like I found old an old hard drive recently from stuff that I recorded in college and I'm like, "Oh my." And it's like right. your fingers go back to the place that they haven't been in 10 years yeah. or something. It's like, "Oh yeah, I Amazing. loved this thing that you'd forgot well, all about."
1: The other interesting thing about that's we talked about happy song. Um there were two songs that I played live on G3 a, a few times and at my guitar universe camps. Um, Happy Song and Glassy-Eyed Zombies. But there was also a third song that I wrote in that same period um, that I meant to play on G3. It was called um, The Way Things Fall. It actually wasn't, that wasn't the title. But um, I demoed it fully, wrote it, demoed it, and totally forgot about it. I never played it on G3, it just sat on my hard drive. And when I was doing the research to start Terminal Velocity, collect song ideas and everything, I found that I'm like, hmm, what is this? And and there was a full song. I'm like, oh, I totally forgot about this. This song is cool. And um,
0: you're thanking decided, you're, you're thanking yourself from the past. You're like, that's nice. right.
1: And and <laughs> decided to uh, to record a real version of it. So that was a nice surprise.
0: The first time you bring up G3, the first time I saw you live uh, was a I believe in 2005 in Boston at okay. G3. And it nice. was you, Paul Gilbert, and Joe Satriani. And you've been part of other lineups too with guys like Steve Vai and Eric Johnson, Uli John Roth. Yeah. Do you have a, a funny G3 story? Like something backstage or on stage? Oh,
1: man. I have a great G3. St- there's so many funny ones. We're playing in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, in G3, um, there's three different guitar players and. At the end, we all jam. So Joe was doing his set, and um, I was waiting backstage with my wife, Reina. You know, kind of hear him, sort of know what time I had to be on stage. Mm -hmm. And we're just chilling out. Joe's on stage. I know I'm going to play in about a half hour, whatever it is. And uh, all of a sudden, we hear, like, a sound in the room. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like, you know, there was, like, an animal on the wall or something. (laughs) Like, what the hell is that, you know? And then we're in the room and it had a drop ceiling. And then uh, right above us, all of a sudden, like, we see a foot come through the ceiling <laughs> and then like a hand and then a whole person oh, was no. like, <laughs> yeah, it was like hatched from the ceiling and like fell on us. Like all like the, you know, my guitars were there. Rain and I were there. It like the, the ceiling stuff cut my arm and everything. Oh, and, wow. And, I, I you know. I was like totally surprised, but also really pissed, and took the guy. I was like,
0: "What the hell is
1: that?" <laughs> you know, walked him down. It was an old theater, so flights and flights of steps, yeah. and got you know, I don't know, got security and through. So the it guy wasn't
0: out. like a maintenance guy doing work. It was no, just a, a an it was, intruder. It was an inebriated uh, patron
1: <laughs> who, who oh, somehow no. fa- found his way through a door, through the rafters in the ceiling. Was totally lost. And And he
0: stepped through the drywall ceiling.
1: Yeah. And then uh, I got on stage and I had like bandages on my arms and everything for the jam. And I guess word got around the stage and everything. And Joe, we're jamming and he's like, goes up to me. It's like, what
0: happened? You know? (laughs) That's wrong. It's
1: like, yeah, I heard you brought down the house. (laughs)
0: Literally. (laughs) Yeah. Had had to throw a man out.
1: Maybe people heard that before, but that that's a pretty epic uh, G three funny story.
0: Maybe you were like a bouncer in, in an alternate universe. Possible. You, like, I I that.
1: have I have done security at my uh, my daughter's um, dance recital, so oh you know, okay. I do I do have a security shirt with my name on it. So great. Don't put it past me.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't mess with you. Um, <laughs> so that concert I mentioned, uh, where I saw you, was at uh, Berkeley College of Music, and. Cool. It was where I went to school and it's where you went to school and uh you're back playing music with your with your longtime pal Mike Portnoy um who you met in Berkeley right or was it yeah. even before that
1: Yeah, we met there. No, okay, we you met, met there. Okay, you
0: met at yeah. Berkeley and um Exactly. So it, it isn't it's interesting to, you know, like when you have someone who went to regular high school, you like your regular high school friends or your regular college right. friends for some people um it's different when you go to a music college and you meet people who really speak your language that you didn't even know that you spoke necessarily. Right. So that must have been hugely satisfying to to reunite and kind of get back on. It's like you pick up where you left off almost musically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, John Mayung and I we grew up together and we and we went to Berkeley together. We we were roommates mm-hmm. and we met Mike there. I mean, we were, we were all 18 years old but, um it it turned out that Mike was actually, you know, obviously Berkeley's in Boston, but Mike was from Long Island as well, right, uh, so it wasn't from. like you know too far of a stretch. He lived in a town about an hour away from us, and um we just liked all the same music and bands, and just growing up on Long Island had the same kind of mm-hmm. you know upbringing, I guess. um so that was the, the immediate connection, you know, because Berkeley is very international school even more so now than it was then but you know people come from all over the world and all over the country so we could have met anybody mm-hmm. you know, it could have been from australia or anywhere but we happened to meet another long islander <laughs> who we you know who we related to yeah and formed this band so yeah fast forward in a band 25 years together mike leaves and now 10 years since he left um i asked him to do this record and i'm so happy that uh, I did, and that he said yes, and that he did it, because, you know, like you said, this record has a very uplifting vibe. I think the the um, the story of Mike sort of reuniting with me musically on this helped contribute to that, because it, just that in itself is very positive, mm-hmm. especially during this crazy pandemic and yeah, everything that's going on. And his playing, you know, I wrote the record, recorded the guitars, it, and he, he played... Recorded the drums to those guitars mm-hmm. um, in my studio, but just his approach and his sort of lively, off the cuff, you know, playing style that helps to make those songs like "Happy Song Terminal," yeah. you know, Temple like have all this energy and spirit. So it was it was a very just overall real positive vibe. I love the way the fans responded to that. Um, you know, no drama and BS, just like happy to see us together and and a great positive response to the record so that was really encouraging as well.
0: Yeah, it it really shone through. Yeah. And uh so when you were in Boston, do you have any memories from being 18 in Boston? Cuz Boston's like my favorite city in the world. Just, mm, you know. Love Boston. It's a it's a perfect campus and like, Absolutely. W- one of my favorite memories is there's this place called Crazy Dose which was right across okay. the street from the 150 Mass Ave. building. yeah. And we had our, uh, my, the band that I played in in college had a practice space underneath Crazy Dose.
1: Oh, that's funny. And, <laughs>
0: uh, you know, walking through the city, carrying a pedal board, a guitar, a backpack in the streets of Boston, I was like 140 pounds. And uh, just yeah. like that was my experience. And I just like recall go, the smell of pizza and shred and oh, being tired all relate. the time. Is I there relate, is there any, yeah. any nostalgic uh, feeling that you get from Boston?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, my son went uh, graduated Berkeley as well, and he. Oh, I didn't
0: know he, that. That's cool. Yeah,
1: he actually was. He was the first resident in the 160 building, the new building. Oh yeah, there used and to be also, a
0: McDonald's there. Yeah, right. Exactly. They, they tore down my beloved McDonald's.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Boston's changed a lot. Berkeley. When I went, they had the two buildings. They had 150 Mass Avenue, and Boylston. Yep. That's all they had, so obviously they expanded a lot. I loved being there on Berkeley Beach, you know, and yep. seeing all the kids, you know, just like me with gig bags over their. Like I felt like I really, really belonged. And uh, what the place for us that you're talking about um, was uh, Supreme Pizza. Supremes and was there when yeah, I,
0: Supremes. I uh, I had some yeah. late nights at Supremes.
1: Lots of late nights. <laughs> they, you know, they, there was no like Wendy's or Starbucks or any of that or. Yeah. J.P. Licks and all those places, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, but there was Supremes, so we always, we always ordered Supremes. We get like cheesesteaks and things like that, um, but we we rehearsed almost every day, um, mm-hmm. and we were always in this one specific rehearsal room that was E19, um, mm-hmm. and that's where we, we practiced. So yeah, lots of great memories from that, even though it was only two semesters. It was only one year that we went there.
0: Oh, right on, yeah. Uh, so you obviously in that short time in that you know your guitar tone has kind of evolved over the years but i would say since you, like i would say maybe around your solo your first solo album it really started to round into this i don't know how you would describe i mean it's like the Thanos of guitar tone it's like this it's <laughs> like this milky curtain of sound uh and uh, you know i referenced You know, like the lead sound, I guess, is what I associate most, this like blooming, um, beautiful overtone kind of ridden sound. And I was wondering if you want to like just brag about that for a second, because it seems (laughs) like it's something that you, you know, people ask what kind of gear do you play, blah, blah, blah. But it seems like you've really fine tuned your guitar tone over the years and really been meticulously changing intricate parts of it can you like give us the the dumbed down version of of what yeah under the hood you've been you've been working on
1: well the you know the biggest thing is a long time ago i i got turned into turned on to mesa boogie amps Mm -hmm. and you know you don't know why you identify with a certain type of tone or sound or amplifier but you just do you connect you plug in you're like man this thing sounds awesome like i feel like i can do anything and so in those early days, you know, I, I was playing boogies, and that was like the part of helping me develop the sound that I heard in my head. Um, I got turned on to the the Mark II C Plus, mm-hmm. which is like one of their you know iconic holy grail amps of all time, it's the Master of Puppets amp and everything else. And that really like I really identified with the sound of that amp. Like when I plugged in my guitar. I felt like that thing could do anything, that kind of milky lead thing you're talking about, but also super heavy crunch and stuff like that. Um, You know, I played boogies for years and years and years and years and years. Fast forward, I was able to develop the first signature Mesa boogie amp based on that iconic C+. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's part of it. So part of, you know, getting this tone that I heard in my head was the initial connection with boogie. But also working with Boogie, those same people, Randall Smith, the same guy who designed the first Mark I that Carlos Santana played, to design the JP2C and really, really get it dialed to where it's the ultimate amp that does everything my uh, you know my imagination imagination is cooking up. Um, the other part of that is uh, obviously the guitar and the pickups. Now, Demarzio, I've been with for. Ever, you know, from the beginning and had such a great relationship with with Larry DiMarzio and Steve Blucher, who designs the pickups. And over the course of these years, we've honed in on what I'm looking for, you know, uh, having, you know, maybe this has too much high end, maybe it needs to be rounder, maybe the low end. Needs to be a little less clogged, so these notes could sing more. Right. So the development of the pickups and having signature pickups through the years has helped too. And then finally, and the big biggest piece are the guitars. Now, with Ernie Ball Music Man. Uh, I first met Sterling Ball 20 years ago, and we're celebrating 20 years of developing these incredible signature instruments. And again, that journey of developing. Well, what a, what sound am I hearing? You know, what does mahogany sound like? What does maple and all alder and basswood sound like? Um, what about the electronics, the layout, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you take those pieces of the puzzle over the course of many, many years, you know, since suspended 15 years. And here I am with what are the ultimate pieces of the puzzle that perfectly do what I've been thinking of this whole time. Um, I call that process. I name my business businesses the, the tone mission. It's like people's tone mission. It's how. The 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 uh, path that you take, the journey that you take to get the sound that's in your head finally realized. And I've been fortunate enough to do that, working with these incredible, you know, companies to develop the signature gear. But um, that's it in a nutshell. I don't know if that's a dumbed down version, but
0: no, that's, that's the, the perfect perfect amount. That's, yeah, the
1: best way for me to describe it. And and so now, I
0: don't think you breathe during that entire description. It seems like you're pretty passionate about that.
1: I'm totally passionate <laughs> about it. And the fun thing is, I, g- I just get to reap the benefits because, yeah. you know, recording terminal, it's just a joy. I mean, I plug in the majesty into the head, dial it the way I'm used to dialing it, and it just sounds awesome. Okay, record that. Like, there's no, you're not sitting there trying to get a tone for hours and frustrated and trying different amps and, oh, I don't know about this guitar. And what about this? There's none of that. It's like gone. It's just like, this guitar, plug it into that head and mic it. Go, you know.
0: Tone mission accomplished. Tone mission accomplished. Absolutely. <laughs> I have, um, I have a lot of your gear. In case you haven't noticed, this is a I see that JP fifteen. That's beautiful. Yeah, Koa. looks awesome. Got really the, the nice. Piezo. You call it piezo or piezo?
1: Well, I've been saying piezo. I, I, I you know, people say it both ways. Um, you know that that. All the Ernie Ball Music Man guitars, I mean, not just my models, but all, all the ones they make are just works of art. They're just... They really are. They they are the real deal. They are passionate about what they do. They're artists. Um, and they're guitar players. They're innovators. And they just make the best guitars on the planet. They're Everyone. I'm just looking at that, even on the video. I'm like, that's a beautiful instrument. <laughs> you
0: know? It is delightful. Um, yeah. I got a couple more things for you, and then I'll let, I'll let you get on with your day. But... Uh, this is actually recent news, and we can cut this part out if you're not supposed to talk about it, but I heard rumblings of an 8-string guitar. Yeah. Is that real, talk- or, or is that yeah. just like a, a, a fantasy in the Twitterverse? No, they're
1: rumblings. They're, they're real rumblings. We, we have been talking about this for a while, um, You know, developing an 8-string version of The Majesty. Uh, we did a whole bunch of research, went through some drawings and stuff, and so now it's a reality that we're talking about uh, building, and I'm hoping to get a prototype real soon. Mm-hmm. What I would really love to do, um, it, it didn't work out on the last Dream Theater record scheduling-wise, but hopefully with the next one, which we're going to start working on really soon, is to have one in time for that, that I, so that I can experiment with it and, and write with it. Um, but yeah, those rumblings are true. I have nothing to show you <laughs> yet. Uh, but uh, in due time, that will be a reality. So I'm excited about that. And oh. I have no experience playing an 8-string, so I'm just
0: approaching this from total... It'll be like know. the Gypsy Jazz experiment. You'll just, exactly. You'll just go exactly. into your hole and uh, come out on the other side. Right. I, I related to, uh, I've said this
1: before as well, I related to back when we wrote Awake and I got my first 7-string uh-huh. sent to the studio. I picked this up. It was a Steve Vai version, green pickups. Same one that's in the live video. And uh, she started writing. I never played a seven-string before. And we wrote The Mirror and all that. I was like, this is awesome.
0: Nice. Uh, a couple more questions for you, John. Uh, what is your favorite airplane album?
1: To, to listen to on an airplane?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I don't know if I... I wouldn't say I have a favorite, but what I do... I, I find that time... Uh, a really good time to, like, listen to what i happen to be working on Mm. because i don't don't do that too often like especially i don't know when when producing a record and like getting to the point where you're listening to mixes and mastering it gets very technical and you're listening for things you're listening for level and eq and i I don't really get a chance to like just listen to it as an objective listener it's like what we talked about at
0: the very beginning like kind of stepping back and yeah, enjoying exactly. what so, you what you're creating and making sure you're in the right direction too. For this. right,
1: so on the plane, I like to just you know put in the headphones and like put on the record, like to actually listen to it. Yeah, I've done that a bunch of times and and just take it in as an objective listener. So that's a good something I enjoy doing because it's just like uninterrupted time where you have nothing else going on, no distractions.
0: Okay, build a band. Yeah, what four others in a band, living or dead? would you want to play with so it's a five-person band you're on guitar who are the other four members
1: oh my god um, well I'd have to have Getty Lee on bass that'd be a okay. dream come true um, I always th- thought it would be cool let me see it has how many members are we talking here
0: four four other than you so okay. five total
1: it'd be great playing with Dennis chambers I've always been a fan of his his drumming He's a monster drummer um, He's an unbelievable Getty. drummer. Yeah, um, Peter Gabriel would have to like be the vocalist. <laughs> He's like my favorite.
0: I like this band so far.
1: you are pretty good, right? One more. I don't know. One more. Um, now, what instrument does it? Have? Could it, it be could, anything?
0: It could be a keyboard. It could be a harp player. It could be a flautist. Oh man!
1: <laughs> um, or another guitar
0: who, player. Whoever you want.
1: Who could it be? Uh, I don't know. It. it It'd be uh, we'll have Andre Segovia on on classical guitar and see what happens. Please, <laughs>
0: that's an amazing band.
1: Wow, that's a band. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs>
0: that's great. Uh, all right. Finally, to uh, to loop in your guitar super villain alter ego, I have one final question for you. Yeah. Uh, what do you believe about guitar that most guitar players would think is crazy? This could be a hard truth for guitar players that they need to hear or something you know that others don't or a, a misconception about the instrument or whatever you want. What What do you believe about the guitar or guitar playing that others might not believe?
1: Well, I, I think that my strongest belief, and I, I think a lot of players would actually relate to this. That's the only problem with my answer. But my strongest belief, and I'm very biased, is I think that it, electric guitar specifically is the most expressive musical instrument other than a voice that's my true feeling i really think that um it it just the something about electric guitar being amplified through something with distortion being able to manipulate the strings and everything that we do with pedals and and whatnot that it's just i don't know the most moving and expressive instrument uh more than anything else but again i'm biased um, people will probably argue that point that play other instruments and <laughs> right, rightly so, I have respect for all that. Uh, and the, the other thing I would say as well, and this kind of um, this comes down to something that people have talked about before, is that we talked about tone and the development of gear and stuff. And you might have heard players say this too, but tone really comes from individual players' hands and mm-hmm. their approach to the instrument. And this could be proven by you and somebody else playing through the exact same rig and sounding completely different, even if you're playing the same thing. Um, So that's something that people, you know, as much as we focus on tone and gear development and stuff, which is important, it's also important to note that who you are actually physically, biologically has a lot to do with how you sound on guitar. And that circles back to why it's such an expressive instrument, because you're uh, you're just completely physically connected to it directly and it comes out um so it's pretty crazy
0: i agree i agree all right so john as we as we wind down here i'd like to thank you for uh being the inaugural guest on guitar villains I couldn't have picked a better person to do that so i i really do appreciate it um it's been an honor to chat with you and we'll look forward to seeing and hearing what treacherous plots you devise next in your musical endeavors
1: perfect well me too congratulations on uh, your new program thanks for having me be your inaugural guest i wish you the best of luck with it i love all your sound effects and your format i think it's going to do really (laughs) great so thank you best of luck with it awesome thanks for having me